Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 450. It's titled, How Higher Interest Rates Alter Our Financial Blueprint. Yesterday, the 10-year Treasury bond yield hit 4.7%, its highest level since 2007. The 30-year Treasury bond yield was 4.8%, the highest since 2010. The real yield, as reflected in 10-year Treasury inflation protection securities, is 2.3%. The difference between the 4.7% nominal yield for 10-year Treasuries and the 2.3% real yield is the bond market's consensus for average annual inflation over the next decade. The 4.7% nominal yield minus the 2.3% real yield equals expected inflation of 2.4%. Higher interest rates, when driven by higher real yields rather than by higher expected inflation, That's good news for us as investors and savers. It means we can earn positive, nearly risk-free returns greater than inflation. For borrowers, however, higher interest rates are more of a burden. In this episode, we're going to consider six impacts of higher interest rates. We discussed what was driving higher interest rates two weeks ago in episode 448, And in that episode, we looked at some reasons for higher real yields over the long term. More innovative ideas, greater productivity, faster economic growth with plenty of jobs. That can lead to higher real rates of interest, along with modest levels of inflation if there aren't capacity constraints. There's enough capacity to meet demand. If there are fewer new ideas population shrinkage, lower productivity, slower economic growth, that would lead to lower real interest rates. Wouldn't we want to have the former? Higher real rates because of a robust global economy with more innovation, more opportunity, more jobs? Last week in episode 449, we touched on the sustainability of the national debt, how that could lead to higher interest rates due to an increased term premium, the additional compensation investors demand for uncertainty regarding the Federal Reserve, uncertainty regarding the federal government, and that that could push up interest rates without the the good reasons, the innovation, more jobs, greater productivity. Rates then could go either way. And central bankers don't know where interest rates are going to be in the future. The Federal Reserve Open Market Committee These highly trained economists, business practitioners, they make forecasts on what they believe the policy rate 
short-term interest rates, as represented by the Fed funds rate, will be at the end of 2023, 2024, 2025, 2026, and the longer run. This is sometimes known as the dot plot. They released a new version at their September meeting. In the near term, this year, the expectation is between 5.4 and 5.6% for the Fed funds rate. Next year, in 2024, the range is a little wider, 4.4% to 6.1%. Looking into 2025, an even wider range, 2.6% to 5.6%. And in 2026, three years from now, the range is expected to be between 2.4 and 4.9%. So fairly wide range. Now, how good are forecasters in predicting, at least in the case of the Federal Open Market Committee, a rate that they're responsible for setting? And they, they set that rate, as we discussed in the last few episodes, based on whether they want monetary policy to be more restrictive, to slow the economy, to hopefully put some upward pressure on longer-term rates, or do they want the policy rate to be more accommodative, lower interest rates? And that depends on the rate of inflation, capacity constraints, the level of unemployment, inflationary pressures, and all those things. And so it, it's, it's difficult to forecast where the economy will be in two to three years. And that shows up in the wider range of returns. And it also shows up in the historical prediction errors. Looking out two to three years, the range of error in the prediction has is, is been about plus or minus 2% plus or minus 2% around that expected range. So that would suggest a range between 0 and 6% for where rates could be in the next three years. Historically, though, central bankers and others, when you have a policy rate this high, will predict that the rate will go down and that that would put downward pressure on interest rates. And, that, and that's what we're seeing in the prediction. But sometimes it reverts to lower rates longer, like it did in the early 2000s. Sometimes it's more rapid, like in the early 90s. What we do know, though, is that looking at where rates are expected to be over the next two to three years, maybe even five years, that's higher than it's been in the previous five years, and certainly in many cases in the past few decades, given we're looking at interest rates currently for 10-year bonds, for example, that they're the highest they've been since 2007. So what are some of these ramifications of higher interest rates that will alter financial blueprints for ourselves, for potentially our business, other businesses? Well, the first is the obvious. Higher interest rates lead to higher mortgage rates, the cost of borrowing to purchase a house. And that leads to lower housing affordability. The average 30-year mortgage rate in the U.S. as of late last week, the end of September 2023, was 7.3%. That's the highest it's been since the year 2000. Housing affordability, the ability to afford a house based on those interest rates, the payments relative to the median family income, assuming a 20% down payment that the borrower puts 25% of their income toward the mortgage payment and they borrow for 30 years, that housing affordability is at its lowest level since the early 1980s. Partially due to higher interest rates, 
but also because of a, a constrained supply in the U.S. and in many other places around the world of houses. Many homeowners were able to lock in low mortgage rates over the past five years. They don't want to move because then they would have to potentially take out a higher interest mortgage. And so that has led to a reduced supply. Ibi Hussein, who was featured in the Wall Street Journal, works for a financial communication firm. He and his fiancée rent an apartment for $3,000 a month in Brooklyn, New York. They estimate it would cost a million dollars to buy their house. And at current mortgage rates, that would be a payment of $5,000 a month if they put $200,000 down. That doesn't even include property taxes. Ibi says, and it's not even that nice of an apartment. So what did he do instead? Instead of saving for a down payment, he decided to spend $1,600 on Taylor Swift Eras Tour tickets and $3,500 to take a trip for a bachelor party to Spain. I might as well enjoy what I have now, he says. He's not the only one. That's an anecdote. But the New York Fed does a periodic household spending survey. And in their recent survey, they found that the share of households that made at least one large purchase in the previous four months increased to 64%, its highest reading since August 2015. There are more individuals looking at considering how difficult it will be to purchase a home in the current environment, and they're deciding to spend the money elsewhere. Taking trips, demand for travel is up significantly this year. And they're spending money, which is one reason the U.S. economy is holding up better than many pundits expected, given the high level of interest rates. Wilbert Vanderclaw, who is an economic research advisor on household and public policy at the Federal Reserve, said, Normally, at a time when you have higher inflation, but also higher interest rates, you don't expect spending to hold up so well. And it has. The first impact of higher rates is higher mortgage rates and lower housing affordability, and it alters how people are spending their money because they have less incentive to save for a down payment. A second impact is businesses have greater difficulty in justifying new capital projects. Last week, the U.S. Census Bureau announced that starts or shovels in the ground for new apartment buildings declined 41% in August compared to August 2022. That's the biggest drop in new apartment starts since the housing crisis in 2007. Interest rates, higher interest rates, do impact that because of the difficulty to borrow. The rates are higher. They give an example of one developer in Denver that builds apartment complexes between 140 and 350 units. Their borrowing costs for new projects has gone from 4% to 8%. It's doubled. But it isn't just the, the apartment cost. And, and one thing we see with higher rates, the impact of that, it, it isn't just the rates themselves. Usually there are other factors that alter the blueprint. In the case of apartments, it's something we talked about this past June in episode 435. Is it better to rent or buy a house? And we mentioned that the supply of new apartments coming online in 2023 and 2024 is really the highest it's been since the, the 80s because rates have 
been super low, making it easier to borrow, and rents have been going up significantly, and that encouraged builders to build more. It's how economics works. But now those new apartment buildings are coming online, and that increased supply is, is putting downward pressure on rents. There are areas around the U.S. where rents have not increased in the past year, which is great for renters. But if your business is building apartments and you can't be highly confident that rents will increase when your apartment is done to pencil in the project to justify it, especially if your borrowing costs have doubled, that discourages you from undertaking that particular project. And that's what we're seeing. There are fewer apartments that will be built in the next year because of higher interest rates. Other project, business projects, the hurdle rate, the rate of return that needs to be generated on the project, it's difficult to meet those hurdle rates if the business has to borrow money to invest in the capital project because the borrowing costs are higher. A third impact of higher interest rates is especially relevant to us as individual investors. There is a lower risk premium for stocks, bonds, and other investments. A risk premium is the additional return that we expect to receive for taking on the risk of investing in the stock market or other risky investments, the increased return relative to that risk-free rate. And that risk-free rate is currently for 30-day treasury bills, around 5.6%. That's what we could earn right now. And so when we look at the difference between historical stock market returns and the risk-free rate, that's the, the equity risk premium. And the same calculation could be done for bonds, real estate, and other asset classes. There's a research paper that I'll link to in the show notes by AQR's Portfolio Solutions Group. AQR is a well-regarded investment manager that was founded by Cliff Asmus, an incredibly smart and funny academic and practitioner. In their paper, they write, the future path of interest rates is highly uncertain, but we can at least be fairly confident that the level of rates will be substantially higher in the medium term that it has been in recent decades in the U.S. and many other major economies. And that's the point I made earlier in this episode. But they wanted to know what the implications were for these risk premiums. And so they did a study. They went back to 1926. They looked at the the return for U.S. stocks and U.S. corporate bonds. And they found that when interest rates were higher, the average three-year risk premium for stocks was 5.6%. Compared to when interest rates were lower, that risk premium was 10.4%. So much higher risk premium when interest rates are low compared to when they were high. In fact, it was twice as high, the risk premium, when interest rates were low. Same for bonds, corporate bonds. When interest rates were low, the risk premium for bonds was 2.3%. When interest rates were higher, the risk premium was half that at 1.3%. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. 
It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. What surprises me in, in that data is just how big the risk premium was for both higher and lower rates for stocks. I'd be happy if the risk-free rate was 5.6% and the equity risk premium was over 5%, that would be double-digit returns for stocks. AQR's paper pointed out, though, that interest rates is just one factor that drives stock returns. They say the best-known predictors of excess returns for stocks, the risk premium, is not interest rates, but valuations. And during higher-rate environments, the stock market has tended to be cheaper to have a lower price-to-earnings ratio, which is what has happened outside of the U.S., but not in the U.S. Each month, we get a fresh batch of data for Asset Camp, our service for analyzing stock index funds. And I looked at the data through September 30th, and if we look at the 10-year annualized returns for the U.S. stock market, double digits, 11.2%, super high risk premium. And if we look at the world developed market XUS, annualized return has been 3.8%. This is for the 10 years ending September 29th, 2023. The U.S. outperformed over the past decade by over 7% annualized. What contributed to that, a big component of the underperformance was valuation changes. 10 years ago, the, the yield on 10-year government bonds in the U.S. was 2.6%. In 
Now we're at 4.7%. Outside of the U.S., the price-to-earnings ratio went from 16.5 10 years ago down to 14.5 today, and that led to a 1.3% drag in performance because of lower valuations. Whereas the U.S. stock market got more expensive, the price-to-earnings ratio went from 17.2 to 22.9. That increased valuation boosted returns by almost 3% annualized. So combined, the valuation differences with the the non-U.S. getting cheaper, as typically happens when interest rates rise, but the U.S. stock market not getting more expensive, that captures just about half of the return difference. The other big component, though, is U.S. dollars strengthened over the past decade by over 30%. And that stronger dollar caused non-U.S. returns to be lower when translated back into dollars by about 3% per year. So that was the other thing. So if we get a period where the dollar at least stays the same, then we'll no longer have that 3% per year drag. On an earnings growth basis, earnings grew at 6.7% per year for U.S. stocks versus 5.3% for non-U.S. So U.S. did have higher earnings, and there's something that impacted that, stock buybacks. Companies borrowing money and then purchasing shares of their stock in the open market, and that can boost earnings per share, and it definitely has influenced U.S. earnings per share. And the final driver is the dividend yield, That was higher outside the U.S., 3.1% average dividend yield over the past decade versus 1.9% for the U.S. stock market. As I mentioned, this is from Asset Camp. Just a quick announcement. Brett Camden and I will be in New Orleans at FinCon, and we're a finalist in FinCon's annual FinTech competition. And so we'll have a booth there. We'll make a presentation showing off Asset Camp and meeting with lots of financial influencers spreading the word about this tool that we're excited about. That then's the third impact of higher interest rates, a smaller risk premium for riskier assets. The fourth impacts the stock market. It's fewer stock buybacks, which I've just described. Companies that make up the S&P 500 spent $175 billion in the second quarter, 2023, purchasing their stock buying back shares. That was a 20% decline from the same quarter a year ago. And it was a 20% decline from the first quarter of 2023. Jill Carey Hall, who's an equity and quant strategist at Bank of America, said structural reasons as well as the interest rate environment are both contributors. When rates were zero, it made sense for companies to issue long-dated, low-rate debt and use it to buy back shares. Not so much now. And so the expectation is, Higher rates will lead to fewer stock buybacks, which, because that boosts earnings per share, we could see potentially lower earnings growth per share for the U.S. stock market, which is a primary driver of returns. Corporate buybacks are not without controversy. And and in this environment, there's potentially more demand to make these capital projects, particularly as, as many companies focus on how AI is going to impact their business and what additional investments in capital projects they need to make to incorporate AI. U.S. stock buybacks have been so controversial that the government passed a 1% tax on buybacks 
to encourage companies not to buy back their stock, but to invest in projects. A fifth impact of higher interest rates is a little more complex. It's potentially higher expected returns for some more esoteric investments. In that study that AQR did, they did a shorter time frame also from 1990 through mid-June 2023. And it, it showed the same trend for stocks and corporate bonds, lower risk premium when rates were higher. But they included some other asset classes also. Private equity, so leveraged buyout funds, venture capital. The excess return for private equity was 15% when rates were lower, but only 6.5% when rates were higher. Real estate, the risk premium was 9.5% when, when rates were lower and 3.3% when, when rates were higher. But there was one strategy that did better when rates were higher, something called trend following. The risk premium there was 6.7% when rates were higher and 4.4% when rates were lower. Trend following is a strategy where an investor uses derivatives, such as futures or options, to get exposure to an area of the market. could be commodities, could be currency, it could be stocks. Whatever is doing well, it, it will go long, those sectors, and then it can go short areas that are selling off. And the idea is to be, hopefully, it's not always market neutral. It will have a bias. But because they're using futures or options, there's embedded leverage there. These strategies are sometimes called managed futures, and they tend to have high cash exposure due to the embedded leverage in purchasing futures or options. You, you, have, you have a margin account and that's invested in cash. And so when cash has generating higher yield, these are sometimes known as cash plus investments, that will lead to higher returns or at least protect the returns when interest rates are higher. And so this is one strategy that does well. Now, it is complicated and it's very, very difficult. This is an active strategy. It takes an informational edge. And occasionally, I'll look at AQR's funds. They have a vehicle. They have the AQR Managed Future Strategy Fund. It's expensive. The expense ratio is 1.5%. If we look at the return since inception, January 5th, 2010, it's only returned 2.7% annualized. In the past year, it's up 2.2%. So even though we have higher interest rates, the fund has not kept up. The best period was three-year returns, 13% annualized, and five years, 6.1%. And so there's been times it's done well, there's times it's not done as well, but we're talking about the underlying principle here. And the principle is that the higher cash yields makes it easier. There's a tailwind for these type of strategies. We see it in the Deutsche Bank Commodity Tracking ETF, DBC. This is a more of a passive exposure to commodities. Over 90% of that ETF is invested in cash-yielding investments because it's getting exposure to a variety of commodities, but most of the assets are invested in cash. And so the return ends up being what the commodities do, plus that cash, plus some other elements, but that's the point. There are certain strategies that do better when cash yields are higher. The sixth point, then, is higher interest rates lead to higher financial opportunity cost. And this is really important for us as individuals. 
Opportunity costs are what we give up when we choose to do something or purchase something. They are alternative choices we could have made. When cash was earning zero, the opportunity costs are lower. But when cash earns over 5%, then the opportunity costs are higher. And that, that means the opportunity cost for not investing in cash is higher when rates are higher. The, the hurdle rate, it could be as investors, we can meet all our objectives earning 5% on cash. And so the, the expected return on stocks or other risk assets has to be higher than that, higher than, than historical, the risk premium. But we've already seen it's not. It's actually lower when interest rates are higher. I saw one couple that was featured in the Wall Street Journal. They went out recently after she quit her job to be a full-time caregiver and borrowed money to take a trip to Hawaii. They spent $10,000 on a credit card, including $1,000 for last-minute plane tickets and 10 nights at a $385 per night four-star resort. Elaborate meals, it pointed out. And now they're coming back and they've canceled subscriptions. They're cutting back on dining out. And they were glad that they went, and I'm sure they had a great time, but that's dissaving. The opportunity cost of that's even greater because in this case, we're not just giving up a 5% return on cash, but we're taking out debt, credit card debt with interest of 20% or more potentially, but it feels seductive because we can get it immediately, but we, that's dissaving. There's a huge opportunity cost of not earning that 5% cash. In conclusion then, higher cash yields. Higher real returns with moderate inflation is a boon to savers and investors. We can earn over 5% for risk-free investments. No doubt it hurts first-time homebuyers. Companies are also having to be more disciplined in how they allocate capital. There are fewer stock buybacks, higher hurdle rates for capital projects. As individual investors, we need to be aware because cash yields are higher, that financial opportunity costs are higher. The opportunity cost of dissaving and taking on debt is higher. The reward for taking on equity risk is lower. Not that we shouldn't invest in stocks or take other financial risk, but we need to understand that the opportunity cost is higher now because we have positive real rates and we can earn 5% cash. We don't know how long rates will be this high. It does appear it'll be for the next several years. And with inflation coming down, that has made it very attractive because we're getting positive real returns. So be aware of the opportunity cost of not investing in cash as we make our financial choices in the months and years ahead. That's episode 450. Thanks for listening. I have loved teaching you about investing on this podcast for over nine years. Some topics, though, are just better explained in writing or with a chart. And that's why we have a weekly free email newsletter the Insider's Guide. In that newsletter, I share charts, graphs, and other materials that can help you better understand investing. It's some of the most important writing I do each week. That's why I spend a couple hours on that newsletter on Wednesday morning, as I try to share something that will be helpful to you. If you're not on the list, please subscribe. Go to moneyfortherestofus.com to subscribe to the free Insider's Guide weekly email newsletter. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week. 